This is Sandy Clough and Chandrotar on Mile High Sports. Always delighted to be joined by our next guest from Fox 31, Aaron Anderson. That's A-R-R-A-N. And Anderson spelled with S-E-N, by the way, on Twitter. I'm not calling it the other thing because everyone knows what I'm talking about. Just like when I say Dove Valley or Mile High, nobody ever gets lost. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, man, pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, happy football season. As I was talking uh, to Danny during the break, we've got the football in some way, shape, or form every week from now into February. So uh, life is good for all of us. Yes, and at least, uh, look, it, it's the equivalent of sort of spring training baseball. Hope reigns supreme. Everyone starts 0-0. The Denver Broncos hope that they will be able to uh, to make a, a move and get back to the playoffs. Uh, interesting, and, and let's, let's just start with this. I don't know if you guys had a chance to see it, but the USA Today put their projections together for uh, the team's final win-loss records in the NFL. They had the Denver Broncos at 10 and 7 and in second wow. place in the AFC West. That is interesting enough. But they had the Chargers at 7 and 10. And oh, by the way, the Broncos at 10 and 7 would still miss the playoffs because the three wildcard teams would each have 11 wins. This seems a little, um, uh, maybe a little out of whack to me. Over the NFC, they only had t- five teams with winning records. Wow, I, I, I had not seen that. Thanks for pointing that out. And, and frankly, that's stunning. I mean, you think about 10 wins in, in, in a normal NFL season, even with the expanded 17-game schedule, 10 wins should get you in. But I guess uh, that, that would speak to certainly the strength of the AFC. Right. But to, to place the Broncos ahead of the Chargers, just looking at that Chargers team offensively and defensively, um, boy, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder what USA Today knows that we don't, because that's certainly not the way I would scheme things up if I was making predictions for certainly this division. I think when you look at the, that strength in the AFC, that's the part I take a look at uh, as well. And I think you know everyone has predictions on how things will turn out, and and who knows? You know, you, you can all everyone can throw darts, and somebody's going to get lucky, and you know, parade sure. or parade it around for the next five years. But the the part that I think is very telling is the fact that, yes, this the strength of the NFL this year is firmly in the AFC. The best quarterbacking is in the AFC. The best offenses are in the AFC. And this is the landscape the Broncos have to navigate. We started the program talking about the top teams in uh, DVOA last year. Eight out of the ten offensive teams made the playoffs. It was 50-50, a coin toss. Only five if you're top ten in defense. Defense has its place. But in the longer term, over a 17-game season, if you want to make the playoffs, you have to score. And in the AFC, you have to score big. No doubt about it. And let's also consider the schedule, which unfortunately for uh, you know the, the Denver Broncos, they're going to have to face the uh, NFC East team, which is, or excuse me, the AFC East, which is going to be uh, a great Bills team, uh, a very good uh, Miami Dolphins team, and of course. The, uh, the real question, Mark, is the New York Jets with Aaron Rodgers, who figure to be a contender as well. Uh, and let's not forget, you got Bill Belichick and the Patriots. So that's on top of the fact that uh, the Broncos are going to have to see uh, Pat Mahomes twice and the San Diego Chargers uh, two times as well. So eight of those games are going to come against some very, very good teams in the AFC. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, th- this certainly is, in terms of, the two conferences, there's just no doubt the best quarterbacking, the best teams come from the AFC, and the Broncos are going to have to have their hands full. But as DeMarcus Ware pointed out, 
appropriately during the Hall of Fame proceedings. One of his favorite lines was, iron sharpens iron, and if the Broncos can work their way through that schedule, if they can get to 10 wins, I still have to believe that that will get a wild card uh, spot in the postseason. Um, whether they can get to double digits, that's a, a question mark for me. But, gosh, if they could get there, I, I certainly would believe that would be good enough for uh, the spot in the postseason. What would have to happen offensively? How good would they have to be? To win well, 10 games. Cer- certainly, uh, light years beyond what we've seen the last few Absolutely. years. Um, I mean, they'd have to know, average a touchdown more per game, I would guess. I, I would think, Sandy. Go from I mean, 17 I'm, I'm, to 24 a game. <laughs> Let's not stop at 24. Let's say 27, 28. I mean, I, you're going to have to put points on the, the scoreboard to be competitive with the quarterbacks in the AFC. There's just no doubt about it. You're going to have to have great seasons not only from Russell Wilson, but uh, Javante Williams. You're going to have to be able to run the football. You're going to have to have a football team that can capitalize on opportunity. And, you know, ultimately, this is a a squad that just has had such a difficult time putting anything on the scoreboard. And, you know, I think the beauty with Sean Payton is this is a guy who's shown that uh, his teams are among the league leaders in scoring. And uh, the hope would be if Russell Wilson can come along and, the Broncos were able to fill the void left, the huge void left by the Tim Patrick injury at receiver, that they are going to be a team that's going to be able to score more points this year and certainly give themselves a chance to win games as opposed to them every Sunday going into a game, hope, hope, hoping the defense can do a miraculous job of keeping the opposition under what they might average, which typically in this league is going to be mid-20s. Well, we were talking, and this is – a while back, at least a week, uh, about uh, the athletic Mike Sando putting out his quarterback tier column, which is based on a survey of various executives, head coaches, coordinators, uh, assistant coaches, analytics types uh, around the NFL. And mm-hmm. on that point, all of his tier one guys were AFC quarterbacks, Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Rodgers, and Herbert. And you had to get down to Jalen Hurts at number six, then followed by Lamar Jackson and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that's seven out of the top eight quarterbacks in football. And I I don't think you'd get a huge disagreement. I think Hurts myself should be higher than sixth. But in any case, if somebody said that I think seven of the top eight quarterbacks in the NFL are in the AFC, I wouldn't disagree. And two of them are in the AFC West, Mahomes and Herbert. So I'm not sure I understand how the Broncos are going to be a vastly better offensive team than the Chargers, given the talent level on, on the two sides. But in any case... Wouldn't Russell Wilson have to be, at the very least, a top 10 quarterback? Once again, as some argued he was coming out of the 2021 season, he would have to again be that kind of quarterback when last year he was one of the five or six least effective starting quarterbacks by any measure. And those tier rankings this year, put him 
pretty close to the top of tier three. And the summary is based on the assumption that most of those polled had that Sean Payton will transform Russell Wilson. But the transformation will come from making him a, a lower edge tier three guy, an average starting NFL quarterback to an upper edge tier three guy. I can't see how that gives the Broncos a chance to double their win total from a year ago. That would be hard to imagine. No, it certainly would be. And I think the quandary here is the feeling I have is, is you look back at what was a lost season was it largely, in my opinion, it was really a case of Russell Wilson trying to do too much. And when we start talking about projections and what he may need to accomplish for this team to be successful, um, certainly what we heard from Sean Payton last week was running will be in our DNA. Yes. Yes. It, it seems to me that the plan moving forward for Sean Payton when it, when it comes to Russell Wilson is to take some of that responsibility away from him so that he doesn't feel the need to shoulder the entire load, that this offensive line that's been revamped can move the football, which would in fact make life easier for Russ and potentially open up the ability for this team to be successful through the air. So it's a double-edged sword as, as you look around the FC landscape where you're going to have a number of guys putting up huge numbers. They not, that may not be necessary for this Broncos team to, to reach 10 wins. It may be a, a balance in which we may see more runs than passes, and ultimately if Russell Wilson, Wilson can function in that capacity – if this team can win ball games where he's only throwing the ball 15 to 22 times a game, somewhere within oh, that window, um, I, I, I don't know. It's, just, it, it's funny to me where we, we, we talk about what these other quarterbacks are doing, and I just worry that we're going to fall back into last season, which was a, a quarterback in Russell Wilson who felt the need to carry the load when uh, Sean Payton has made it clear thus far that's not what he's looking for. We're talking to Fox 31's Aaron Anderson. And Aaron, I guess I would ask you, we heard from Russell Wilson earlier today talking about Sean Payton referring to him as one of the best play callers in NFL history. Does that, and we know that Russell is, is a pretty rah-rah type and pretty you know cheery when you're talking about interviews. At the same time, uh, there's no question that he knows what Sean Payton's offense is at this point. And I suspect uh, that it isn't going to be let Russ cook. It's going to be Payton's offense. That means that a lot of the times two running back sets. Uh, Wilson yeah. knows this. Do you believe that some of that is is the the normal? Just you know, it's preseason. I'm going to be cheery about everything, but it, it can bother him. Or do you believe after maybe being humbled last year and really becoming the butt of jokes around the NFL, maybe willing to accept at this stage and at this age, he's about to be a father again. That you know what? Maybe I do need to accept some help, and maybe Sean Payton's ideas what I should run with. Do you get an idea that Wilson is okay? with going back to an offense that he is more of, for lack of a better term, a manager of? Uh, yeah, I, I, I believe so. And in humbling, I think, is probably the best way to describe what last year was for him. This, this is a guy, as we discussed the last time that uh, we spoke over the airwaves, that was on the fast track for the Hall of Fame. And after what we saw last year, you wonder if he might have to buy a ticket yeah. to mm -hmm. go to the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. You would if he does it again this year. That's right. Yeah. Well. Absolutely. So I, I really believe that he's going to buy in and that he has bought in. And I, I think the other thing is we look over the last few practices, certainly since the start of training camp, defense is always ahead of the offense. And as I watched Russ, I, I think we've seen a progression where he's been able to stack 
solid work on top of solid work recently. It didn't start out great for him at camp, and I, I think that may have worked in Sean Payton's favor, which is, hey, um, this is going to take time. You need to trust me. And what we've seen over the last couple practices, he's gotten better and better and better, and, and I think that is due to buy-in. And, uh, yeah, I, I really think this is a guy who, who, as he surveyed what was a lost football season, realizes that he needs help. And he certainly has a coach who's you know, showed the ability to work with quarterbacks and build them uh, from Drew Brees to Jameis Winston from works in progress to guys who function to the high level. So I, I, I really believe that Russ is on board. Do you agree that it's, uh, for whatever it's worth, pretty much unquestionable that Zach Allen's been the most impressive player in training camp today? Oh, my gosh. He is an absolute beast and I, I you know he was a pickup that it wasn't one of the first couple days if my memory serves me correctly and I think when he was signed folks went oh uh, he he's been a standout standout player for sure at training camp a guy who's going to have a chance to, to butt heads with his his former teammates came Friday night I think he's a, a fascinating player and you know to watch him work at practice um every day it, it seems like whenever they go 11 on 11 He's in the backfield disrupting plays. And if he can function uh, that level during the season, that speaks volumes, I think, for the defense and Vance Joseph in terms of what kind of a dy- dynamic player he has to work with. And the other guy, uh, you're probably going to go, wait a minute, Nick Benito. Who, no, I agree. Who seemed to be lost in the fray last year. Nick Benito has shown really brightly as well. And, you know, uh, with Baron Browning out, Benito certainly has, has made the most of his opportunity, and I think he's the guy, based on what we've seen, who's capable of maybe turning the corner and uh, reaching the potential that I think we all thought he, he may be able to play at when he was drafted last year. He is Aaron Anderson. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Aaron Anderson. That's A-R-R-A-N, and Anderson is S-E-N. Check him out on Fox 31. And, of course, uh, the trip Colorado Sports Night put together there regularly with Taylor Kilgore and uh, Bruce Hurdle, also heard here in on My Life Sports in the mornings as well. So always good to talk to you. And uh, I, I'm with you. To, to my mind, pass rush has been one of the absolute biggest worries of this team. And I, I, I tend to agree, Aaron. I think Allen and Benito, maybe more than almost any other players in camp, have actually stood out. So for the Broncos, perhaps that's a good sign. Appreciate all the insight. Hey, thanks for having me on, and uh, look forward to Friday night here. Yes, indeed. We'll get going for real, and then we'll really have something to break down. Aaron Anderson joins us. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Have a good day, guys. Thank you so much, Aaron. And uh, I, I agree with those. I've, I've mentioned both those guys uh, when you're talking about Allen and Benito. Well, interesting comments, by the way, on the the, the pass rush. Right? I mean, it, it's... Um, it's intriguing. We'll, we'll get to hear a little bit uh, from Vance Joseph about that. I had a chance to talk today, but I want to remind you, obviously, you know, you, you can tell. We talked about it. It's Friday. It's coming up. That's the sound of football coming back, and now is the time to place your preseason bets with Superbook Sports. Superbook's the most trusted name in Vegas, and now you could use promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus, which means win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code mile high. That one's easy. I mean, you're listening right now. Don't miss out this football season. Win some money with Superbook Sports and that promo code mile high. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, Vance Joseph coached, uh, well, J.J. Watt the last couple years. You would think that would uh, 
be a difference maker when you're talking about at least the uh, the ability of your pass rush. But to hear Vance Joseph talk about it, perhaps the Denver Broncos have something that those Cardinals, even with J.J. Watt, did not. We'll hear from him next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Zach Allen had five and a half sacks last year, playing uh, opposite J.J. Watt in his final year. But over the last couple of years, it basically uh, done what smart players do, smart young players do, basically just tagged along with, J.J. Watt all day long, reportedly, whether it was training room, getting meals, out of the field, everything, and picking his brain about everything. Uh, Watt was as effusive as his, with his praise for Allen as he has about just about anybody, believing that Allen was about ready to break out. Allen, I think, has looked like the most pleasant surprise in camp entirely. I, I would say that's For the Denver true. Broncos. I think he's been the best player, uh, most Pleasant surprise in a camp that's had several unpleasant yeah. surprises so far. And so, you know, the difference maker there, with that that's obviously going to be big. They moved on from, from Draymond Jones, who's had a career high of nine and a half sacks. Allen's is five and a half last year. But they're betting, uh, they saved a little bit of money, and they're betting on the 25-year-old Allen to basically take a leap forward. But uh, Vance Joseph had a chance to talk after practice today. He had a, an opportunity to talk about a player that, of course, he is quite familiar with after coaching him as well. Zach, Zach's the right kind of dude, man, as far as a player and a person. You know, he's a great teammate. He's on every single day. You know, he's super smart. You know, so he was he was a good signing for this football team. You know, obviously he's been around Watt, you know, for the last, you know, two or three years, and that's paid off for him. But um, he's a good player. And, uh, yes, he, he was around J.J. Watt who could teach him a lot. Now, J.J. Watt is well past his prime, but knows talent when he sees it. And also knows how to handle your business as a pro. And so his admiration for Zach Allen, along with Vance Joseph's obvious recommendation that the Broncos go out and sign Zach Allen after Draymond Jones had left. We'll we'll see. Uh, he needs to be a major star for this team this year, for this defense to be a top ten defense. He does. as it was in some form or fashion, according to certain metrics a year ago. Let me read to you, and we don't have the the sound for it. We but let me read to you part of what he talked about when he was asked about the uh, the outside linebacker, which now is who knows, you know, you call it an edge rusher, call it whatever you want. Um, Frank Clark's in that mix. Frank Clark plays with a hand down. He used to call him a defensive. Who knows? Who cares? Right? Whatever. But the guy's on the outside. You want to call it outside linebacker. This is when asked about it. What Vance Joseph said. It's kind of fascinating. I suspect you're going to roll your eyes a bit. But I think it's interesting. Quote, it's the best room I've had from one to six in a very long time. 
Having a bunch of rushers with different traits has been fun to watch. Having a plan for each guy to get enough rep to be effective during the game is going to be important for me. Having Randy, meaning Gregory, Frank, meaning Clark, Coop, meaning Jonathan Cooper, and Benito. And then when Baron Browning gets back, that's a really good room. We've got two young guys breaking glass. Also, it's a good room. Again, it's a good room if you like potential. It's not a good room if you're basing it on what Sean Payton talks about all the time, demonstrated ability. It's not there. I'm sorry. Uh, Baron Browning was largely injured his rookie year. He had five sacks last year, had a pretty good year. Uh, We'll start this year. He's currently on the pop list. and It seems that he will start this year and will remain on pop. At the start of the year, at least. I'm not saying he can't play this year. Hopefully he can. But, again, so much of what the Broncos say, and it's all these new coaches who year after year after year come in, and they're talking about promise, and they're projecting, and they're never able to talk about actual production. And... That's all you do in the preseason is talk about potential. And all you do is project in the preseason because even if you're playing starters more than you did last year, which was not at all, you're still projecting because we'll see, but I suspect the Broncos will be on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to playing starters in the preseason this year. In other words, their starters will be playing I think a play fair share of the time against number twos. I agree. I think they're going to play more than average. I think that's what Sean Payton wants to do. But it, it is um, when you look at the idea of this team. But he's talking about Randy Gregory, who's never played more than 14 games in a season. Right. And has missed entire seasons on multiple occasions. And you're talking about Frank Clark, who hasn't had a big sack year Mm -hmm. since 2018 when he played for Seattle, not Kansas City, and certainly not Denver. He he was playing for Seattle back then. It was five years ago. Guys in their 30s who haven't done it for a few years worry me because years 27, 28, 29, they, they're supposed to be prime years. They haven't been for Randy Gregory, and they have not been for Frank Clark. Prime years at all. In fact, there's been a certain amount of erosion in their production during what should have been their prime years. And maybe injury had something to do with it. Um, but, it, you know, Gregory looked fine at the beginning of last year, and then he got hurt. And when he came back, I don't remember him doing anything that was especially helpful. The Broncos, when it comes to sacks last year, were 23rd in the league. And when you're talking about getting that much better, uh, you actually, at least in sack total from last year, downgraded slightly from Jones to Allen. Now, you know, whether they get their uh, change this year or what, it's there's there's just a simple way of looking at it, and the truth is that this team at this point it's, it's all potential. 
So all oh, it of it is. And you're asking. And that's on the defense that is supposed to be the strongest group on your team and, in fact, has been the strongest group on your team for. It's been when you hung your hat least, on. At least eight years. Yeah, for the majority of at the decade. At least eight years. And in, in the cases, I think you hit it on the head, in the cases of Clark and Gregory, look, if, if you said this was three years ago and Randy Gregory, three or four years ago, Randy Gregory is going to stay healthy and you, your edge rushers are Frank, Frank Clark and Randy Gregory are going, hey, all right. But the truth of the matter is, these are guys that haven't been able to put together those big seasons. And Jerry Jones' uh, reaction notwithstanding, no one in Dallas missed Randy Gregory last year. In fact, their defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, indicated to friends that the only guy they'd miss on defense if he left would be Micah Parsons because he runs the <laughs> defense. Yes. And he plays virtually every position on the defense, although I think he was moved around a little bit less last year than he had been the previous year. And... Kansas City wasn't weeping over the loss of Frank Clark. It it certainly did not seem to be the case. In fact, you know, there's still the idea of of with with Chris Jones. How long is he going to be? It seems like every off season uh, is Chris Jones going to be uh, on the team? Are they going to make a move there? And, and you're talking about a, a phenomenal player in Chris Jones. Well, they they seem to believe that people on their defenses ra- are rather interchangeable. I, I don't think they believe. Say. I, I don't think they believe Chris Jones is is replaceable or, or, or just uh, uh, another part uh, of the machinery. I, I think they understand what his value is. Uh, listen, uh, Chris Jones wins games for I you. I think so. And to think that their defense, which is at best middle of the pack, could function at anywhere near that level without Chris Jones, I think would be foolhardy. And I, I think they'll figure it out. And if he misses a few games, there's no real problem there. I think they'll figure things out with Chris Jones. And, uh, they, yeah. and they do understand that Chris Jones I mean, I is isn't tremendous. Juju Smith-Schuster. He <laughs> can be replaced. Yeah, certainly wide they, receivers no, when you have Mahomes, no, uh, you, no, you can they, they don't believe that. Yes. So... There is, look, put it this way. Nick Benito and Zach Allen, their flashes in camp need to turn into reality. Well, or the Broncos I, I pass rush is not going to be honest, I have more confidence in Allen than I do in Benito because Allen has been reasonably productive and seems to At be least a guy a floor. who is coming up. Yes, yes. And has a higher floor. Uh, I, I, I don't want to hear about Nick. I mean, people have to make observations, and I, I don't disagree with the idea that next to Allen on defense, Benito's been impressive. You discount Simmons and Sertan immediately because we already know how good they are. And I'm just as happy that if Sims has a slight injury, that he not play at all in the preseason. I, I, I don't care if he plays at all. I don't care if Sertan plays at all. They don't need the preseason. They don't need to play in preseason games. Now, I don't necessarily feel that way about guys on offense, mm-hmm. but your two best players, uh, both of whom play defense, and specifically in the defensive secondary, they don't need to play a snap in the preseason to be ready for the Raiders. 
on September 10th. The idea of the changeover, too, by the way, of course, you know, do they need the practice? Do they need the reps? Well, the the defense is more or less the same, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons that Vance Joseph is here. Joseph had an interesting discussion, and it'll be interesting to see the way this this is perceived. Want to know what you think? 303-831-1340 is the number. A rather, I think, novel approach, and I think an approach in my mind that shows maturity as a head coach, because, as we've talked about before, with the exception of only two players on the defensive line, Zach Allen, one of them, Frank Clark, the other, all the starters are the same for the Denver Broncos at this point. Vance Joseph understood that and had a very interesting approach. No, I've been I've been studying all summer, man. So, you know, it you know I would have been foolish to walk in here and just change the you know the players' verbiage, right? Because football is just about terminology. So. You know, the coverage package they ran here with, with Vic and E, it's what I've run with just different terms. So instead of making the players learn different terms, I learn their terms. And that's 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 what a coach should do, you know, to allow the players to play fast. So it's been fun to learn those calls and learn different adjustments from CP, especially in the back end. So for me, I'm I'm learning growing also. It's it, it's it's been fun, man. Good for him. I, I think Good that's for him. I think that's he terrific. learns their terminology. Because and and you know I I always one like guy it. can learn new terminology faster especially than a coach faster than his whole defense if it's just a matter of changing terminology. Uh, you know I remember back when uh, Dan Reeves came in for Ed Miller and in Dallas, I think they used uh, even numbers. I'm trying to remember this. On the left side and odd numbers on the right side, which was completely the opposite of what most every other team did, and Reeves came here, and guys had to learn the Dallas way here. And it was just numbers, but it was it was confusing. And it took some of the linemen a while to pick it up. So I think it's great that a coach comes in here, a new coach, a coordinator especially, and says, I'm not going to change the terminology from what the entire group that was at least pretty good last year. I'm not going to change the terminology. I learned their terminology, and my defense isn't that much different from the Fangio defense in any case. So I'll just learn the terminology that they've been using, and it'll save us some time. And I, I always love when you have when you have coaches or really anybody in the sport that does their best to sort of – demystify it because I think that can be a problem too because the, the idea of, of the very first thing you said football is just terminology we're running the same place I mean you know right. stop stop pretending that every single coach is reinventing the wheel and coming up the whole John Gruden mystique he sleeps on a cot you know furiously scribbling on whiteboards to come up with something nobody's ever seen Y banana split X whatever who knows what you want to call it um, that's really not how football works football is a game where the 90 percent of the plays are run by every single team at the NFL level. The difference is in how you execute it, your timing, and then the difference between that is who has the game-breaking stars to turn those plays into something that changes the game. And I think what Joseph is talking about there, and the idea is like, look, it's all the same plays. I'll just change my calls for it to make it easier for them. Uh, That, to me, is an extraordinarily mature way of handling it. And I think if you were curious as to how this was going to work for Vance Joseph, I, I don't know what the end result will be, but 
But I can tell you that I love that approach. And leaning on also, he talked about it, uh, Justin Simmons especially, who's been out in the last, you know, about, about half a week and will probably miss uh, all of this week of practices and certainly the first preseason game. Leaning on Justin Simmons, who's been here long enough and throughout multiple coaches, but to go ahead and uh, help him get the terminology over as quickly as possible. To, to my mind, I think when you have a coach that walks in there with some humility and says, look, I understand what's better for the team is instead of me going, I'm the coach, I'm the boss, let me show I'm the boss by throwing my weight around, you guys learn all these new terms because it's easier for me. What Vance Joseph is doing there is a way of saying, no, you know what? What's better for the Denver Broncos is I'll learn it faster than the other guys. That's a team-first approach. I like it. And I can't honestly say I've really heard too many coaches talk about their changeover that way. I've never heard a coach talk that way. And I have seen many a coach come in, especially head coaches, and say, we're going to use my terminology. And you can learn for me, as, as far as I can tell, on offense, it will be as different as it can be no, by design. Right. Sure. And it's a different offense. But, yeah, in Joseph's case, look, we're running the same plays. I, I, I think that's terrific. So good, good on Vince Joseph. Great job explaining it. Uh, hopefully that will help the defense continue to improve where it needs to improve. There are a handful of coaches, and I would suggest that every single one of them You've heard of that had a hundred or more wins at the time they changed teams. The first season that they had with that team, the results might surprise you. Sean Payton, by the by the way, has a hundred and fifty-two in his career. What can we expect? We'll take a look at it next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. In the history of the NFL, there's only been a handful of coaches who have had a hundred or more wins and then switched to a new team. As you can imagine, generally you win that many games. Uh, they're more than happy to keep you around for the most part, although you'll notice with many of these names on there, uh, there, there have obviously been some traveled guys. Well, they're happened, not, and, and they're not always moving from team it's one been, to team two. Sometimes it's team two to yes, team three. It's actually been nine players doing it, or nine coaches, pardon me, doing it 11 times in history. And I'll go over the list with you, and you'll see if you run into a a, uh, a pattern worth noting. Sean Payton has 152 career wins. That'd be the second most on this list. Yep. Marty Schottenheimer had 153 career wins when he went to the Chargers for the 2002 season. And he had been fired by Washington. So it's actually Marty's fourth team. Right. Not even his third. In fact, uh, he has the first and third spots on this list because uh, when he took that year with Washington, uh, which that first year was 2001. He had 145. As you can tell, he went eighth because that's when he got 153. Actually, only two of these coaches had better first years than Marty. Right. Both with Washington in 01 and the Chargers in 02. So Schottenheimer, two years in a row, uh, both years with the, with Washington and then the Chargers went eight and eight and missed the playoffs. Mike Shanahan, the second most, at least until Sean Payton will make his debut with the Broncos, 
Also with Washington, they went 6-10 and and missed the playoffs. Jeff Fisher with the Rams, 7-8-1 and and missed the playoffs. Mike McCarthy with 125 with the Cowboys first year, 6-10 missed the playoffs. John Fox with the Bears, 2015, 6-10 missed the playoffs. Chuck Knox, a former longtime Seahawks coach with the Rams, 6-10 missed the playoffs. Uh, Bill Parcells, we'll get back to him in a minute. 109 wins. When that he was his to, second tour of duty. With right. Rams, when he went to the Knox. Jets in 97, right. went 9-7, and seven, but missed the playoffs. Mike Ditko went 106 wins, went to the Saints, 6-10. Uh, and 10. Of course, that was trading everything for six Williams. 6-10, and 10, a popular record. 6-10, and 10, a very popular record. Now, Parcells was 9-7 and seven and missed the playoffs. That's one of only three times you have a winning record. The other two, one of them is also Parcells, who had 138 career wins when he joined the Cowboys in 2003. They went 10-6 and six and then lost in the wild card game. Andy Reid has the best. 130 wins when he moved over to the Chiefs in 2013. 11-5, and five, and they also lost in the wild card game. But out of the 11 times this has been tried before, only two times has a team ever made the playoffs? Only three times have they even had a winning record, right. and no times have anybody ever gotten past the first very round. Very similar to the, the fourteen coaches uh, we identified who, uh, uh, you know, had won Super Bowls, right? Uh, some of them multiple Super Bowls, and then go to a team after winning those Super Bowls and have virtually no success. Of the fourteen, only Doug Peterson. Both made the playoffs and won a playoff game. The other coach who made the playoffs is Holmgren with Seattle in 99 after his stint uh, in Green Bay. And they made the playoffs, but they lost right away. They did not win a playoff game that year. Now, of course, he took them to the Super Bowl in 05. Uh, Mike Shanahan had uh, Washington in the playoffs in 2012. And then RG3 kind of went haywire on a number of levels, both psychologically and physically, and that was the, the end of uh, any real run. But it, it, I would say under the Daniel Snyder ownership, the only time that Washington showed any real promise was 2012 when they made the playoffs with RG3 at quarterback. He was injured at the end of the year. Uh, some guy named Kirk Cousins, and whatever happened to him, uh, came in, and played well enough to get the Redskins uh, solidified, uh, the Washington football team. And uh, they went into the playoffs, and they lost to Pete Carroll's Seattle Seahawks in the playoffs. They did not win a playoff game. Things typically, even for very successful coaches, do not go well first year with a new team. It's a transition year at best. And... Yeah, a couple made the playoffs. Uh, Parcells lost in Dallas, as you mentioned, and Reed lost. That famous game, remember, with Indianapolis where they had mm-hmm. the huge lead and blew it? Uh, that was that was Andrew Luck's finest hour as a quarterback of the I mean, the simplest, Bulls. simplest thing is that, look, coaches with that kind of credibility, with 100-plus wins or Super Bowl titles, don't get hired by new teams because the teams they're going to were already good. In general, you bring in a Sean Payton because your team has been flailing and you need someone to just give all the control over and say, please fix it. So I'm not surprised that these turnarounds take time. Now, 
obviously with some of these teams that we've listed there, some of the teams ended up actually having some success. Eventually. Eventually. But year one, no. It's highly uncommon. And when you look at the previous, you know, I get it. Commonality is not causality. But you look at this with 100-win coaches, which Sean Payton is part. You look at the list of Super Bowl-winning coaches, of which Sean Payton is part. Right. The odds in either case of having a particularly successful season, let's say just not only making the playoffs, but advancing around, is so slim. And the fact that both of these things say the same, it's indicative of, of why it occurs. Now, these teams did get better, by and large. Mm-hmm. They and didn't I suspect the Broncos regress, will get better, too. And the Broncos will win more than five games this year, unless there, there's a complete catastrophe, the likes of which we can't possibly envision at this point, as we sit here on the eighth day of August. But... It, and it's it's something to keep in mind up in Boulder, too. Uh, I just took a look at the USA Today sports section this morning, and I saw that they came out with their uh, AFCA coaches poll for the coming college football season. And the top 25 are reasonably easy to identify the usual suspects, right? Starting with Georgia at the top, Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Southern Cal, Penn State, Florida State, Clemson, Tennessee in the top 10. And even through uh, the final, I don't know, five schools listed here, Wisconsin, Mississippi, Tulane, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, not unknowns uh, in recent years to some degree of football success. Then there was a fairly long list of others receiving votes, right? Starting with Iowa, and they got a lot of them at 169. Mm-hmm. Did not make the top 29, but didn't miss by very much. Air Force got half a dozen votes. Kansas got a vote. So you got no votes. Not a surprise. So you got no votes. I why why, why should they? Sure. I mean, I I'm not I'm not SMU got votes. I, I I'm talking about teams that you can't, especially when you can't win about one, the direction You can't football. win one game and no, then be I, yeah. I'm just saying it's a reminder that yes, you can bring in a charismatic coach who affects change, acts as Deion Sanders likes to describe himself as a change agent, right? And boy, is he ever. Uh, He he is certainly all of that. that. But the idea that CU will be a top 25 team or or even be good enough to win six games, that's not an opinion upon real review resonates with very many people. They'll be doing great to get to four or five wins. I, I think that will be a perfectly satisfactory season. And and people are, well, the Pac-12 is falling apart, so CU will do well in the Pac-12. And we discussed this yesterday. That Who knows what the psychological impact will be on some of these schools. But 
I mean, you got going into the preseason uh, at least five teams that probably justifiably ranked in the top 20 coming out of the Pac-12, USC, Washington, Utah, Oregon, and Oregon State. They're all legit. I mean, they, they, they aren't. What are they doing in the top 20? Yeah. They haven't been there in a while. Well, no, all these teams were, were good to very, very good last year. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason that there shouldn't be five Pac-12 teams in the top 20, top 18. As a matter of fact, that has nothing to do with what the Pac-12 will look like in 2024, Proof. if there even if is a Pac-12 in 2024, it has nothing to to do with it. So you have to temper your expectations. And the Broncos are still in a division, whatever you think of the Raiders, where you have a team that's won two Super Bowls in the last four years, and you have another team with, by acclamation, one of the best five or six quarterbacks in the NFL. And plenty of talent on both sides of the ball. I mean, they are star-studded. Now, there, there seems to be a black cloud always kind of hanging in the vicinity of the Los Angeles Chargers. Right. Whether they play in San Diego or SoFi in Los Angeles. But there's a lot of talent there. If, if you're ranking teams strictly based on roster quality and quarterback quality, they're, they're certainly a top 10 team, if not a top 5 team. I understand that doesn't mean they'll win 10 games, and USA Today apparently feels they won't win 10 games, but rather they'll lose 10 games in a coming season. I, I find that hard to believe. I, and I, and I think the Broncos will be doing very nicely to escape last place this year in the AFC West. That would be a nice start. And then maybe, maybe you, you can even beat the Chiefs one time this year and end that hideous losing streak. But it, that's, we're talking about areas in which they'd be brushing up against the ceiling, right? Right. Not the floor. It will be obviously an interesting week for the Denver Broncos as they continue to try to work their way towards their preseason opener in Arizona while navigating injuries. We'll find out more about Mike McGlinchey hopefully tomorrow, and hopefully that's good news for the Broncos because they're not hitting that ceiling without the man they spent the most money in free agency on. It's just that simple. Boy, and the jinx at right tackle continues apace. Thanks to Aaron Anderson for joining us from Fox 31. Check him out at Aaron Anderson on Twitter. Thanks to Danny Bailey for making everything work in the booth. And thanks to you for listening, whether it's on air or on HD radio or over at MyLifeSports.com. The easiest way, best way, just grab the free MyLifeSports app. Have all of the broadcasts live and crystal clear in your pocket. We'll be back tomorrow. For Santa Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here at MyLifeSports. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.